Welcome to Journals of Self-Discovery. Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. It's actually been November since I posted an interview, but I think you'll find this month's episode was worth the wait. There's a couple of announcements that I have before we begin. First, I wanted to let you know that Bob Ferguson and Tess Hughes are having a one-day event in London in May. I consider both of them to be worthwhile teachers as well as personal friends, so I definitely recommend that event. To find out more, you can visit TAT couk.wordpress.com and I'll say that again it's t-a-t-c-o-u-k dot wordpress dot com and I'll also put a link to that in the show notes for this particular podcast if you want to check that out also thanks to Tess and her community of seekers I'll actually be in Ireland leading a weekend retreat and that's April the 20th through the 22nd you can find more about that at TessHughes.com, T-E-S-S-H-U-G-H-E-S.com, under the Events tab. So my guest this month is Jerry Winstrom. He's not a guest I would have even heard of, much less chosen an interview, so I'm thankful for a listener's suggestion. Jerry is an artist who I would say found the higher self or God or the mystery, whatever you want to call it, found that as the source of creativity. And I wanted to read just an excerpt from his book, which I highly recommend. It's called The Inspired Heart, An Artist's Journey of Transformation. And I think this little expert, this little excerpt is about the best summary I can give of this interview. Most artists believe, however unconsciously, that they can create their way to heaven. This is a good and noble ambition, but impossible to achieve. Paradoxically, to do anything less than to try to create a heaven on earth is to waste a perfectly good life. The belief that we can do what has never been done moves hope into action. Forces larger than our efforts can accomplish our dream, but we cannot avoid the moment of failure in which we must rely on those forces. Our innocent, passionate belief in the possibilities inherent in this world, in spite of our apparent human limitations, lets God know we mean business. Great art comes out of this quest. Yet, it is not enough to simply know this truth. Many scholars can speak eloquently on this subject, and in a sense, they know about this truth but only in the moment of real surrender, a moment when that which is known no longer holds, are we given the pure, simple experience of the arrival of something holy, which is ancient and yet truly new, in the best and most inspired sense of the word, to go beyond the limits of human effort through surrender is to go beyond death. So I hope you enjoy this month's episode. And again, check out the show notes, which you can find those at spiritualteachers.org slash podcast. 
and uh, that will give you some of the highlights from this episode and links to some of the resources that Jerry mentions. I think that that one thing people might be surprised by or or want to know more about is it's basically that my podcast, my website focuses on spiritual teachers and uh I was just really surprised by and thought, wow, this this guy is an artist, yet he speaks like so many spiritual teachers that I know and people that I have interviewed. If perhaps you could speak a little bit about that in terms of what you see as the overlap or or perhaps you find the artistic path and the spiritual path identical to one another. Well, I think anything we do with all of our heart and soul becomes a spiritual endeavor in spite of ourselves. So, you know, there's no separation, whatever we, I mean, if we're a business person or a a house husband or wife, I think what we do with, you know, absolute intent and passion will arrive somewhere that we, for one thing, didn't expect and the other into a kind of metaphorical death rebirth, you know, because I think we all start out doing what we what we think we can do, and often what's never been done, and yet there's some kind of holy defeat that kicks in, and then that's where the real work comes in and the real transformation happens. So art is a spiritual path, but so is being a dentist, doctor, you know, lawyer, Indian chief. So many people have careers and jobs and so forth, yet I don't think that they would think of those things as a spiritual path in any way. So the so the difference is doing it with all of your heart. I believe that was the phrase that you used. Yes. Well, there's an element... They're doing it with passion. Yes. There's an element of, of complete passionate involvement in whatever we do for that to happen. I don't think it comes out of mediocrity. There's a great story, I think it was Ramakrishna, where when a disciple of his came and kept saying, well, how do I find God? How do I find God? And he and he takes him and he puts his head under water and holds it, and the guy comes up gasping for air, and he says, when you want God as badly as you wanted air, you will find God. So I think we all start out doing something that we believe in, but if we really take it to the bone, there's there's something there that it's that is larger, and you know we may think. I mean, I I never imagined as an artist that it would take me where it did. You know, I you know I I don't know if you know my story, but I ended up destroying all my work and giving everything I owned away and living like a monk for the next fifteen years. But I never imagined the path in art and creation would take me to that place. But in retrospect, it makes complete sense. How did you get into, if you will, art? How did that, uh, is that something you were interested in as a child? Or how did that develop? Well, it was the one thing I could do. You know, I grew up in a poor, mostly black neighborhood where we were the minority. And I didn't do well in school. I didn't even go half the time. And even in high school, I would check out in my my Norton motorcycle and disappear. 
And I think art was the one thing the world said, what a good boy are you, because I could do it. So I think when you don't know who you are, which I did not, then you latch on to any identity you can, and that just became that for me. It became the thing I was. <laughs> you know, in a sense, a false god as well, I think, hence the ultimate letting it all go. You know, I think we, like I said, we all think, start out thinking we can do what's never been done, and yet, you know, it is in the is in the defeat that we really the work begins. And you know, I think if we can be with that sense of you know, we're no longer running the show and we're no longer in control of what we think we're creating, that's where the gods kick in, and that's where the real work can really unfold in a way that's larger than our will intelligence and good intentions. I'm reminded of myself. I I wanted to be a college professor in agriculture, of all things. I guess I, I didn't understand at the time what was driving that. I don't know if maybe that relates to what you mean about how you didn't know yourself. You didn't know who you are. I didn't understand the the longings, if you will, or the the forces that were driving me towards that particular career. It wasn't until much later that I began to understand that it was actually a love of the outdoors or a love of nature that was at the root of that. And it really didn't have anything to do with this image of being a college professor. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a dream is important, however... You know, ultimately misguided it may have turned out to be. You know, it's important to have something that we believe in and to give ourselves to it. You know, maybe you have become a different kind of professor in a different realm, too. You know, I mean, what is a professor? Someone who, you know, disseminates wisdom and information. And, you know, maybe you are a different kind of professor or a spiritual professor. But, you know, I, I think it never quite turns out the way we imagine. And if it does, it's usually a pretty boring life because it's too <laughs> controlled and strategic and there's no magic left in it. <laughs> right. So that process of destroying your art, that's not something that just came upon you one evening, I'm imagining, and the next day you acted upon it. Was that a... Um, a conviction, if you will, that grew upon you over time? Well, in a sense, you know, I mean, one of the my overused phrases is the gods whisper before they scream. And there were many hmm. whispers along the way. You know, there were things happening. I was extremely driven. I mean, I couldn't have produced more than I did. You know, I, I've often said if I could have painted my way to heaven, I would have done it because I tried hard enough. And yet, you know, there's, there's, there were, there was beginning. You can only, you can only take your dream so far before you, you have to. There's a, there's an element of a, the sort of quantum leap that needs to happen. And when we come up against that, we can really feel lost like you know the way all that will and drive and everything that was moving 
my life early on no longer worked and it just it felt dead and it felt like okay i've done this the, as much as i could and what does it mean it doesn't mean anything it's just more stuff and creating more stuff so you know it starts out pretty well intended but it, it i think that's the beginning where something larger begins to stir and there were whispers that were sort of pointing in that direction because if you think about it if you the you know the core of creation is to is to inhabit the void and to be so available in that void that reality unfolds and you are a willing participant in in all of it and your input counts for a lot but also it's very much in the moment with what is emerging in the spirit of the time so you know creation ultimate creation was stirring in in a sense of living into that void rather than hiding you know or sort of in the laboratory of the studio where you, a painting becomes like a, a prescribed void that's a, a safe little container where <clears throat> where you enter that void and you and you might get inspired and something new will come out of it what would it mean to do that with your whole life and i think that was beginning to stir and it was scaring the hell out of me too because i didn't know what that meant i just knew that there was something alive more alive than i had known and it was and it was drawing me forward but it was also scaring me so i think you know there were whispers along the way it didn't happen overnight but when i knew what i had to do it was immediate and i just and i did it why you why amongst i don't know how many other people were in your circle at that time but was it that you were were pushing yourself do you think harder than others perhaps or more passionate or more truthful about about the artist that you wanted to be i mean why why did you come to this place and so many others didn't well i think because it was my particular false god you know my my art and my identity with it i don't i don't know what it what other people need to do and i wouldn't say everyone has to do what i did i just think in whatever it is we have given ourselves to if we we will come to a place where we may feel lost in in our accomplishment and and that accomplishment could be extremely impressive i mean i had an enormous body of work and yet it was it was becoming it was feeling all very dead to me so i don't know why me i just know it made sense with with the way i was living my life with you know my level of 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 courage whatever was there i think everything just lined up with exactly who i was which is the way i think it works for everybody in a different form i don't think we can hmm. copy anyone's spiritual path i'm not even sure it's it's all that useful to be pursuing great teachers i think i mean i think it is in terms of we can get a sense of what it might take to to really truly live our own individuality but it's a very lonely business and there's no there's no duplicating it there's no one who can 
who can say what's real and what's not real. All we can know in our heart of hearts is our own reality and what we need to do. And it takes enormous courage to be able to do it for all of us. You know, it's like individuality. You know, we all want to be individuals. But truly, what we are called to do as individuals is probably one of the most terrifying of all possibilities. I mean, we all want to be something recognizable and, you know, have some reference point in the world that can say, I am that. What happens when that fails? I mean, who are we? I mean, what's true individuality? It's our one-on-one relationship with the mystery. And there is no reference point. I guess you would say, uh, for myself, I, I saw the the false god, if you will, in in the career that I happened to be pursuing at that time. But then I latched on to a, a spiritual path, as in another way, uh, a way to uh, build a self or build an identity as a person who's seeking truth or seeking enlightenment. And uh, it very much resonates with me that uh, what you said about, well, it comes to a point where, I mean, that too is seen as a false god. And then what are you left with? And how do you have the courage to give that up? I guess that's, you talk in in the interviews I've heard, you talk a lot about surrender. I think you said the ability to trust surrender is the way you phrased it at one point. Is that something that we can get better at or practice in some way when that moment comes, rather than turning away from it? Well, we could practice, we could try, but I think it's not real until it is. I mean, surrender isn't an option when we're faced with what feels like some kind of ultimate demise, you know, metaphorically. I don't, you know, I mean, I suppose it could be physically too, but... I think ultimately when we come up against, when the gods make us an offer we can't refuse, that's when surrender becomes real. And I don't think anyone necessarily, even with the best of intentions, can can give themselves to ultimate surrender of the ego Hmm. until that ego begins to fail them. And so, you know, I think it's very important to be around high-minded people, people who are making some attempt at at understanding and self-realization. But in the end, again, it gets down to that lonely business where we know that there's no choice. You know, it becomes this sort of choiceless choice. And 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 we can't we can't create that moment. We can we can ask for it, we can call on it. But it's a real it's an, it's a terrifying privilege to have it laid on us. (laughs) You know, I didn't choose the path I did. I just knew it was life. It was the most alive, titillating thing that I could intuitively sense was in front of me. And I had no idea how to get to it or what to do with it. All I knew is everything else was dying and that was alive. So what kind of a choice is that? I think we can choose to live a frightened small life, which many of us do. But it seems like it's a choice that, you know, that is a, it's, it's a choice that's not going to serve anything. It makes our lives, it's like a living death. If we want life, we have to go for it. And when that life comes, we don't, often don't get another chance at it. 
I love the whole idea of Saturn return. I don't know if you know, my wife is into astrology, talks about it. But it's sort of a place where, you know, like we're talking about, the place where things begin, we start to question everything and, you know, we have to go through and everything begins to feel like death. And and that's the place where the renewal can begin. But it often happens for most of us at the age of 30. Even if you look at many of the great teachers, it happens around that age. What we think is life, and it, you know, it's more like fear of death. I think real life can only come out of turning into our boogeyman. And it's different for all of us. I mean, death isn't death. It's just death is just our idea of what we would be without our identity. And so in a sense, death is the death of our identity, you know, the death of our, of our ego. So I, I, as I see it, it's the only game in town. You know, I, it's not about death. It's about real life. Yeah, I've noticed uh, in in some of your artwork that I've seen online that it's there are layers. It seems like there's always layers, and you're peeling back layers and revealing something else. And uh, yeah, I know it's often a passing through of a layer that looks like death in your artwork. Yeah, that's that is true. I mean, I was doing. I'm doing something different now. I've actually been doing more public art, which is kind of interesting and fun but yeah the earlier the 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 box things they're very coffin like and you know but it's sort of like what we're talking about you you know you face with something that's a little scary and looks like death and yet when you interact with it it does whimsical things or it will deliver a gift or you can you know it does things that were unexpected it gives it gives you something that you that you didn't expect so I think, you know, it's, I didn't like plan this as an art form, but I think, you know, who we are, it just comes out of our pores, whatever we're creating. It come, if we, I mean, if we're just doing our children and, and trying to help them grow, they cannot be anything more or less than we are, you know, and it's up to them to take it further. So who we are will come out in our attention and in our, in our creation. And that's certainly the case for me. After you destroyed your work, you mentioned, I, I think you mentioned, was it a number of years before you started doing any artwork again? Yes, many years. I mean, I, I live on Whidbey Island, Washington now. And I, I destroyed my work in 70, not 1979. I came here in 1988, and I didn't start doing art until probably about you know, 89 or 90. So there were many years. I didn't think I'd ever go back, but you know, it's, I, I was, I was good at it. So why not? I mean, I like to do it and it's what, you know, and I've created a whole new body of work. I think when it no longer matters, it, it's okay. When it was such an identity, when it was everything I thought I was, it became too unhealthy. I think now I do it because it doesn't matter and so there's a freedom in it and there's in that in that you know kind of detachment a lot of mystery comes through because you're just simply available and that is sort of emerging spirit of the of the day which art at it, at its best um, sort of uh, brings through 
that that can come through through our detachment more than through our attachment to who we think we are. I mean, when we have ideas of ourselves, we just create ideas of art. When we when we are living that mystery ourselves, we are open to that mystery in our creation, whatever it is. So what, uh, if you don't mind my asking, I mean, what did you do for all those years after that, after the destroying your art? Well, that's what my book's about, because, you know, of course, everyone wants to know that. And that's where, when I was asked, a publisher approached, and, you know, Parabola Magazine had done a film about me, and... and uh, and a, and a publisher asked if I wanted to write a book. And I, so I just like downloaded. I just wanted, because I was so tired of my own story, I was able to just write my book in four months. And, and that's the story. You know, I gave all my money away. I never asked anyone for anything. I hardly touched money. I ate when I had food. I fasted when I didn't. So I just did the moment. I did what each moment came, what each moment gave. There were times when I was absolutely out on the street not knowing where I was going, but I've never spent a single night on the street. All I know is that when I gave myself to that void, I never could have lived the strange and often terrifying life that I did if there wasn't some mystery in place. And I think the gods meet, meet us halfway. When we give it all, I think we can trust completely. And, I, and that's what I needed to know. I was tired of my own strategy, my own manipulation, my own good intention, my own you know, ideas of myself. I needed to know there was something more alive and more conscious than my puny little world. And that's what I had to find out. And that's what, in fact, I did find out. There is something that carries our lives so much better than we do. And now I'm in the world because, again, it's like art, because it doesn't matter. I mean, I got married when I was 44. You know, I was celibate for many years. I mean, it, it all, I'm in the world in a way because like art, it doesn't matter. And I fully enjoy it. It's a whole lot more fun than living the life that I lived when I had given it all up. I mean, there it was like learning to dance. It was so intense at times and so scary and so incredibly blissful at times when these, you know, this miraculous sort of salvation would come out of the blue when I thought I was just going to die. And, you know, and now in some sense, it's all way more covert because I look completely, living a completely normal life with my beautiful wife and my beautiful house in the woods. And yet underneath it all, it's this, the structure, the bones of this facade is what I learned at that time when I let it all go. I still live in that way, but it's all become much more of a dance rather than having to learn to dance, kicking and screaming all the way. Hmm. Would you would you call that um, a discipline, if you will, that you were practicing during those years of trying to live that way? Discipline failed me. I, I wouldn't call it a discipline. I would call it a determin determination to stay present with what was. Especially when I gave up everything, that was all I had. If I failed to to meet the moment in the way necessary. My life depended on it. It wasn't like having a bank account, having, you know, going home and crying in your beer if things went wrong. My life was on right. the line constantly. So that that is not a, 
that's not there there aren't a lot of options in that there's a fierce determination to stay present discipline is a good idea if you have an indulgent life to get out of it once in a while and do something more disciplined and you know and it takes discipline you know even now to you know to get out of bed and go down in a studio and (laughs) create something but it's not i don't take it so seriously i mean of course discipline matters especially if we are you know we're living too insipidly if that's a word but I think for the most part, what we're talking about is beyond discipline. It's fierce determination to trust and be present with exactly what is. Because you can't improve on it. Nothing improves. Discipline does not improve on that kind of fierce presence with what is in your life at each given moment. And, you know, it's the same with human beings who enter my life. I mean, when people, you know, a lot of people come here. We have a dormitory. Many people come and stay with us. And and I never know what's going to come out of a thing. All I know is if I can be present enough with another human being, it's it's always miraculous what comes out of it. And I'm as surprised as anyone else. And you can't go in with an idea of yourself or of what the, somebody might need or want that it's going to work out that way. All you can do is go in as unknowing as as you know as i have described walking into that void you have to go into it unknowing with attention and almost turning it into a kind of embodied prayer where you're asking for the miraculous to come through in another encounter with another human being and that's where it happens and i and every time i go into it shaking in my boots not knowing and and, and every time i'm bowled over by what happens at times and the only thing that gets in the way is me, you know, nothing else. Mm-hmm. I I can relate to a degree with the one-on-one, what you're talking about, but I have to admit that what I'm imagining is waking up for myself, waking up in the morning and just seeing what happens versus planning out my day and knowing that, I'm going to make a call at this time. I'm going to go to the store at this time. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. That that is a that's a leap. It's okay to do your chop wood, carry water plan, go to the supermarket. But I think what I'm talking about is always watching for the miraculous, watching for what the moment's really about. You know, looking at the mm. girl behind the counter. Um, putting your groceries in a bag and being attentive in a way that sees her tears under her smile and touching that person mm-hmm. in a way that that makes that moment different for that person or whatever you know it's like it's 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 not like we can't plan that we can't we can't do our our daily chores it's that we have to do it with a kind of dual attention you know we have two eyes one eye it's okay to look at the world and work it as good as you best you can the other eye to be watching for that mystery to reveal itself in a form that is completely unexpected at times i appreciate that i can i can get a feel for that in my life how would you describe what goes on when you're in the studio today is it do you have a set studio time or do you just go whenever whenever you feel the urge to go for the most part i go when i feel the urge 
You know, I mean, sometimes it's not at all fun going to the studio, especially when I'm beginning something new. And I often begin something new because I'm bored or I feel like, you know, I'm just too embodied and I need to get into another dimension. So, you know, at those times, it's like pulling teeth. I, I force myself to the studio. And, and But once things get rolling, it's like, you know, you jump out of bed and you go and you just hook right mm -hmm. into the mystery of what's unfolding. And, you know, there are surprises. And it's, so it's always both. You know, it takes something to get moving. But I think it's most important that, you know, what is, what is the thing that is most exciting for us in our heart? Where is life and how do we move towards that life? I know that in creation is that light that life is in that and it doesn't necessarily mean just making things it could be like i said you know with another human being like the creative moment would be making a leap in a conversation or a leap in you know being present with someone in a way that even you don't expect like i had a woman mm -hmm. come here she actually came out from seattle to the island to interview me she had a radio show and, you know, so, you know, I've done enough radio and that I, you know, I, I kind of know what it takes and I get all geared up when I have to. And, and so I was, ex you know, I was sort of all just, you know, the trajectory was interview. And so, the, you know, there's a knock on my door and the woman arrives and I open the door and all I could feel coming from, I didn't even know where it was coming from, all I could feel was pain in this woman. And I opened the door, I welcomed her in, and she came and sat down, and I made her tea. And all I could be was silent. And it was like, it was like survival. I mean, and whenever I tried to come out, and, and she, and the more, the quieter I got, because it was the only thing I could do, the crazier she got. And it got more and more intense. And finally, I just kept going deeper within and just holding the space, not knowing what was going on. This was supposed to be about a radio interview. And at one point, I mm -hmm. felt the shift. <clears throat> and I looked up, and she was crying. And I'm what she said, which I don't know why she said it, but she says, no one has ever done that to me before. And I didn't do anything. All I did was what the moment, the only thing I could do in that moment. And it turned out that she was just diagnosed with cancer and it was supposedly terminal and she was just terrified. And so that, that it all just shifted. So here's the whole idea of, of an interview turns into a non-interview about silence, which was what the moment needed more than anything. It's certainly what she needed. So I had, she, she ended up spending the night. I said, like I said, we have a dormitory and I made her dinner and we had a great interview the next day. But I mean, that's a good example of how the mystery comes through the door in ways that has nothing to do with what we think it's about. But you know, it took an interesting kind of, I don't know what else to call it, but courage to maintain that kind of silence in that pain, in that darkness, because you start to wonder, is it me? Is it, what is going on here? And you, and I don't know, I did not know. All I know is when it shifted and I looked up and she was crying, that all the doors opened and then I could be there for her.
back. I've done um, a lot of meditation over the years and am very familiar with watching thoughts and trying to figure out where are thoughts coming from. That was a, an early question of mine in regards to identity or self-identity. It was where do these thoughts of myself or this feeling of myself, where do those originate? Uh, a lot of attention was placed on that. And at some point in time, I saw what I would describe as this creative expression, if you will, was coming from that same place his thought, his worded thought, that it was all originating from the same place. And I'm and I'm wondering, you mentioned about one eye, if you will, being turned back while another eye was facing the outside world. If that's kind of your experience in the process of creation, is a, a watching or a waiting for something to bubble up inside. Yes, and, and in, in invoking it, you know, I think... I think a, a, an ongoing living conversation with the mystery is important in whatever form. I mean, you can call it prayer, you can call it meditation, you know, you can call it ritual. I mean, you can do whole rituals around it, which my my wife does a lot of. But I think it's if that, you see, if we're not talking to the gods, we're talking to ourselves. <laughs> And so I hmm. think when we know we don't know, when we, when we, you know, when we know that if I do my most intelligent, brilliant idea in art, it's going to be boring. But if I can stay open and not know, and and be and be very determined to 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 respond to what's coming through in a way that's larger than my own little circle mind loop that's where the real stuff happens and so how do we do that you know i i don't know i think intent counts for a lot and i think keeping that conversation open i mean how often do we ask for inspiration how often do we get stuck with something and just call on you know call on our angels call on our gods call on our goddesses how often do we do that you see that can be a living conversation and nobody has to know about it it's not like we have to go around like some kind of you know holy person <laughs> i think it's between mm -hmm. us in our own mystery and i think keeping that conversation alive and open in all forms it's like you know what i described with that woman who came out to interview me i mean believe me i was calling on the on the gods for help because it was an extremely uncomfortable moment and i didn't understand my own silence even and yet it came through because I stayed present in the discomfort. You know, that's what alchemy is about. I mean, alchemy is about these dueling tensions, and, and then the third entity emerges. If we can hold that tension, that discomfort, and it's the same with art, but it's the same with everything that ultimately is inspired. We have to be able to hold all of that, and, you know, and, and there's some admission of defeat in it because we can't just do anything we want we have to hold the the discomfort and out of but do it consciously i mean when you look at somebody who is running from their pain that's somebody who can't hold their discomfort i mean that's why we chase 
we shopaholic, we're alcoholic, we're, you know, addicted to food or drugs or everything else because we can't hold our own discomfort, which it just comes with the territory of being a human being. You know, these dueling things within us, that whole duality is constant. How, and, and when it gets at the cycle, in the place in the cycle where it is most intense and most difficult, that's where most of us bail or we, you know, we just want something to fill it, whatever it is, whether it's TV or, you know, whatever it is. But in learning to hold that discomfort consciously with the intent of allowing something larger to emerge, I think that is the most creative thing that we can do as human beings. And there's not a lot of control. You don't control the outcome or what you want. You control yourself enough to, to stay out of the way of what's wanting to come through. That's a very different animal. I had a friend who just killed himself this week. Uh, and I, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that and that, I don't, I don't even know how to say it, but that inability, if you will, to face that discomfort yeah. and to look, to look towards something else as a, as a solution to that discomfort. I mean, clearly he was in a very bad place and, uh, yeah. And it seems like, uh, it just seems like we have no, we have very little skill in learning how to do that. And I think part of what I'm, I'm always grasping for is how can we, how can we learn how to do that better? How can we train ourselves to, to live in that discomfort or live in that unknowing or really look at what is bothering us versus hiding from it. Suicide is the avoidance of death in a certain sense. It's the avoidance of a metaphorical ego death. It can be rather than, you know, give ourselves to the transformational qualities of metaphorical death. I mean, we would rather destroy our body than many of us will, rather than hold that discomfort long enough to allow it to transform us, you know, and give ourselves to that. You know, it's in some way, it's like, I mean, I think we've all, I know I have been on that edge myself in my own Mm -hmm. struggle. And, And, you know, somehow suicide could you know, in a, you know, I know in my own mind would almost justify the fact that there is no mystery, there is no God. You see, all there is is death, and here I am. I'm giving myself to it. When in fact, you know, the the transformational quality that that's in the difficulty of that experience, I think that the place where we're on that kind of an edge, and it's not, we don't have to literally be suicidal, but the place where we're Everything is failing us so miserably. I mean, I, I at this point in my life, I am always looking again out of those out of those two eyes, where you know where one it looks you know looks like all is lost here. Everything's going wrong. Nothing's working. Conversation isn't working. Relationships aren't working. What nothing is working out of the one eye. The out of the other eye at this point be, having you know, faced my own boogeyman in the best way I could, out of that other eye, there's, there's excitement. So, so as dark as it gets, 
there's also the most exciting place because I know that's where it's at. That's where the magic happens. And how can we, without that sensibility, suicide is the only option because it looks like it's all, all is lost anyway, so why not just name the beast and, you know, go kill ourselves? Because we have, don't have a sense that this is where the magic happens. And I think we all need to learn more of that, you know? And I don't know anything about your friend. I just know from confronting my own darkness that... I see the appeal of something like that. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. have a sense that that's a transformational, the transformational potential of that moment, and it is about holding extreme discomfort at times, it almost always is. I feel sometimes at least people get into the spiritual search, or the spiritual search becomes another way to avoid discomfort really it can to avoid anything could be negative thoughts it can be yeah well you know the thing about when we have when we have confronted our own metaphorical death in whatever form we can you know there's what we bring back to the world is the ability to do that for others because it's going to come at us in one form or another everyone is going to project their limitations onto us and most of us get angry or we bounce off it or we defend ourselves or we do something about it that gets it away from us because it's the same thing that we're struggling with and we don't want it in our face because it's us that we're seeing but once we've confronted our own metaphorical death we can transform that moment for other people and it's not like we do it like some kind of guru or some kind of teacher. It's like we do it because it's coming at us. We hold the discomfort and we allow it to transform. You know, my younger brother died a, a few years ago, and and there was a you know there were mo- there was a moment where you know my younger brother was very handsome and he had and he was charming, and you know he always had lots of girlfriends and so his life was pretty. He lived, you know, a lot on the surface for the most part because life was easy, the doors opened. And, and, and you know, we didn't necessarily relate a lot. I, I, you know, I just didn't, we didn't have a lot to, to communicate, basically, because we were living such different lives. But at his death, I think at some level, he sensed something. We became closer and closer. And at one point, when he was right on the edge, he called... And he was, I, I just really got a hit from our conversation that he couldn't go back to life and he couldn't die. He just seemed really stuck. And, and so it was a moment where I, I was so uncomfortable. I didn't, you know, what do you do for someone who's on that edge? Especially when you love them, when they're depending on you for something that you don't know what to give. And, and I just, so first what it turned into is me turning in to my own fear of death. And I just went into myself and I realized what I'm, you know, what am I afraid of here? I was afraid of naming it by putting it out. And I basically said, Jack, you are dying. That's all you have to do right now. You And I, I was just shooting from the hip from there. I was just... You know, I was saying things. I said, you know, you've done it so beautifully. You've been a good example. And I was just saying, but he he just burst out crying and he was able to die the next day. But, 
you know, a moment like that, there is no way I could have given myself, because I had to go through a kind of death myself. The death of a nice guy who wanted to say something positive to my dying brother. I had to die of that in order to name the beast, and we both had to enter that death in a, in a funny kind of a way where we name it and so it was as shocking to me as it was to him and we both ended up in tears closer than I have ever been with him in my life. And you cannot do that if you don't know it within yourself that death and the renewal that comes out of it. All I know is that renewal happened for my brother in whatever form. It gave him what he needed to do, which was to die at that time. Who knows what happens after that? I have no idea, but I know that was a healing moment because he was able to do what he had to do, and he couldn't before. Almost any time that I say something that's really true, uh, it feels like a death. Yes. Because some part of me is I'm exposing something that I would rather not do and it feels like dying yes yes it, I think any inspired thing is gonna it's gonna knock our ego right off its pedestal you know and that goes for all of us I can almost feel when it happens my heart starts beating and it's like oh, what's what's mm -hmm. <laughs> what am I gonna say now <laughs> yeah yeah well that's that's open to the moment that's open to the mystery so congratulations on that because i think that's as good as it gets if you think you're going to mm -hmm. be a little spiritual teacher and put your wisdom in your pocket and take it to the bank it's never going to happen <laughs> you know you have to be you have to be as terrified as the as anyone and just be stand in that terror and that possibility for for inspiration to come through yeah yeah and just in terms of everyday activity, you know, like making dinner or brushing your teeth. Do you see the, a similar feeling, if you will, to, to in those acts as in the being in the studio? Well, potentially. It's like being in the studio is no different. I mean, sometimes I just don't really... You know, I might get a lot of grunt work done, but I don't. I don't arrive at inspiration. I think you're. Yeah. It's a constant. You stalk it. You stalk the possibility. You know, like a. You know, like you're that. You're you're doing that sort of watchfulness, and it's not. You know, I I think it's such a. It becomes. It's like a habit. Most of us are in the habit of indulging ourselves, avoiding things, or looking after number one, or getting uh, seeking advantage. And, you know, that's our habit. It's just a habit. We, you know, after a while, what you're asking, it's a different habit. I have the habit of doing what I do, which I love being in the world. I do all the cooking. I do all the, I'm always the first one to go and do what needs doing, because I love doing things. And yet, my habit at this point in life is that I do it all with a kind of watchfulness. And I don't have to think about it. It's just become the habit of who I am. What you referred to as the holy defeat, uh, this was probably one of your interviews, the holy defeat, it sounded almost like a, a, a touchstone, if you will, that once that had happened to a person, they, could, they would have the memory of that. 
as sort of a, yes. a ground of truth, maybe, would be a phrase for it throughout their life. says you have God the Father, God the Mother. And God the Father is very demanding, and you'll never please God the Father. God the Mother loves you no matter what. And I felt like a complete, as much as I had given, as much as I tried, I still failed. Therein lies the holy defeat. But what came through was God the Mother, that something happened that really open the door. And and I can't say a whole lot more than that about it, but I know it was feminine. I know I didn't deserve it. I know it was grace. And I know I can I can count on it. Not count on it because what a good boy am I. I'm smart now. I, I'm wise now. I can count on it because it came through like a promise and that promise cannot be defeated. And even in literal death, and who knows, like I said earlier, what happens there, I trust that arrival. I trust that it will come. It never comes the way I think. It never comes when I want it. It comes when it comes when I need it. And it knows better than me. And I think, you know, the whole, the whole Christian notion of eternity, the eternal, you know, until you die, you know, it's a Christian thing, until you die and are reborn, you don't experience eternal life. And that, I know, is a truth, not because, you know, of any religion, but because if you can really go through that death, that holy defeat that you referenced, you know, and, and allow yourself to be defeated in, in that wrestle with control over the, over the, the mystery, that what comes through will always come through. When that grace comes through, you can count on it. And it makes, you know, it makes life worth living because we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to always be strategizing on how we can protect myself or how I'm going to have enough money or how I'm going to have enough friends or how I'm going to please the right people. We know that those, that that's death is going to keep coming around. We know that those holy defeats are going to keep coming. But what we now know is that in it is our renewal, is our salvation. And that's not a religious thing. It's a, it's a fact of the mystery. It's a promise and it's bedrock. Nothing else is. There's nothing else that's going to give us security. All the things we try, enough money, enough sex, enough drugs enough, whatever it is we think is going to give it to us, it will never do it. That promise will do it, and it looks more like death and defeat than it does like accomplishment. But there's no greater accomplishment. Do you, uh, we've, we've talked about metaphorical death, and, and you alluded to literal death. Do you have any sense of, of life after death, or what that's like, or what happens to a person? Oh, I don't. You know, I've certainly read a lot. I, lo I love some of the things. I love the whole Tibetan Book of the Dead. 
You know, the stories in my book are about those encounters where all seemed lost. You know, I walked into the worst case scenario and and, and each of the stories in my book are, are about that transformation, that salvation that came when all was lost. All I know about literal death is that I couldn't find it in life and I don't believe it will happen in death, you know, physical death. Because mm -hmm. it didn't happen mm -hmm. in life, it will not happen in death. Of course the body's going to die, of course all of that. But I can't believe that there's not something we're going to get launched into that isn't greater than where we were standing at the moment of our death. I don't know what it is, I have no idea. I love, you know, I love some of what I read about it, but I don't think anybody else knows necessarily either. My guess is the Tibetans probably know a bit more than most of us, and I love some of their ideas. But who knows? I do not have a sense of what it will be. I only have a sense that it is. I heard something that David White had said about you, and he said, uh, to quote him, uh, he has claimed his happiness in existence, which I thought was a, a rather remarkable claim. Are, are you happy? I just on a on a you know an everyday kind of uh, way of thinking about that or is, is your day-to-day -day life happy or how's that changed for you or has it changed at all well it's like i said you can't really be alive until you've until your boogeyman are no longer chase running behind you you know so happy yeah. you know happy I think what I know, I think I can't take my unhappiness seriously like I used to. You know, I can't mm. I can't get to the edge of, of yeah. suicide anymore because I get excited by what I know is what is I know is in the darkness I might be feeling. I can't say I'm happy all the time like a Pepsi generation kind of happy where I'm always but I think I'm as happy as a human being can get because I can't believe in the darkness anymore. I know it's not real, you know, as much as I even try, sometimes it's wonderfully self-indulgent to feel sorry for yourself when things are going wrong, but I, I, can't, I can't help laughing at myself when I take it too seriously. So happy means you can't take darkness too seriously anymore. You know, it's not like I don't try like every bozo on the planet to be self-indulgent in my difficulty at times, but, you know, I think I'm as happy as anybody can possibly be in this embodied life where we're going to suffer. You know, there's no question. You can't be happy in suffering. But I think you can know that in the hardest part of it is the place that's most exciting, too. What do you do with that paradox? You know, I think when we don't have that is when we're unhappy people. When we avoid it, we're unhappy because we're running after everything that looks like it's going to give us, get us out of that. And that is a very unhappy life. Even though we look like the happiest people in the world, we're just running from ourselves. Can you speak a little more about, uh, you mentioned the, the feminine, uh, the masculine and, and feminine energy um, uh, you said that in, in another interview, I believe you said you maxed out the masculine aspect. And I think you were referring to your, your early years as an artist and that drive or that push. Yeah, trying to please the masculine God for sure. Well, I, again, it gets back to the holy defeat. 
You know, the impossible mask, the possible demands of the body, of the will, of intelligence, of good intentions, you know, the, that's all very masculine driven stuff that we think is going to, you know, I, I we have to try our hardest. We, we, we almost have to, so how do you describe maxing that out? Like I said about painting, if I could have painted my way to heaven, I would have done it because I tried hard enough and I didn't do it. It came in the defeat. It came in the letting go. It came in the re-entry into the feminine, into the void, into the unknowing, you know, into those black holes in space that look like nothing and yet they can consume or produce a star. It took the feminine to, to bring that through, not the masculine. But you have to come to terms with the masculine. You, I think we can't be lazy. We can't, like, say, oh, well, either, you know, like, with, with a lot of what I'm saying here now. So it's like, in some way, somebody can say, well, then why bother? Because everything I'm saying yeah. is it's not going to work. You, nothing works anyway. But you have to try because there is a relentless... God the Father, you might say, that is going to demand the best of us. And if we haven't given our best, we will never know that it doesn't work. If we just, if we just do what we do half-heartedly, then it, it's, that's, that's who we become. We become a half-hearted human being. I think we have to do both of those to the, to the max. Now, and the gift of the feminine, it's like Lao Tzu says, know the male, be the female. You know, I think in the end, the gift of the feminine is that we become more like the feminine, more receptive, you know, more, more ab that ability to give and forgive and to realize the limitations of human, more compassion, you know, more sp holding space for people rather than filling it with our masculinity. I, I can hear someone saying to themselves, ah, oh, you know that Jerry guy, he said I got to try really hard. I got to max this out. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, you know, is there some way I can max this out as fast as possible? And then I'll get into that feminine part that he was talking about because that will just show up. You see what I'm getting yeah, at? How, yeah. you know, at least in the spiritual world, if you will, the world of the spiritual seeker, I feel like we're always trying to game the system in some way. We're always looking for a shortcut. We're always looking for, you know, the the quickest path to enlightenment or the quickest path to the holy defeat, if you will. In a, in a certain sense, we're chasing death and trying to find, you know, how can I get to that point of, yeah, I'm there. I'm facing the death of all that I know that I am. How can I accelerate that? And does that make it? Does it resonate in any way or make any sense to you or you sound ridiculous? Well, I don't think anyone should necessarily ask for death. I think pursuing life. You know, Lao Tzu says a journey of a thousand miles begins where your feet are. I think we're all in the best seat in the house and we need to pay attention there. And exactly what we're challenged with is the place where we can grow. You know, I don't know that there's any fast route. I think it's very important. Again, that conversation with the mystery. Are we asking for real transformation? Or, or do we want to just hang out in some crunchy granola, nice meditation room where everybody's smiling blissfully? You know, do we really want the goodies of awakening for ourselves? You know, which is our birthright? It's not like something special. It's who we are. It's what we're here to become. 
are we asking for that and are we willing to do what it takes to get there? I think that's very important to ask for and very important to have the courage to meet it when, it's con when we are confronted with it. Because it won't come through like a smiling angel. It'll come through like a screaming demon and scare the hell out of us. Do we have the courage to give ourselves to what we're asking for? And most of us don't even have the courage to ask for it. You know, what we want instead is comfort, most of us. I mean, do we ask for it? Do we constantly ask for it? Are we like that person who kept asking Ramakrishna, how do I find God, and when he put his head under the water? I think, you know, it's important to keep that conversation open and ask for what we want. I mean, if we just want, you know, a house in the country and a, and a, and a beautiful partner, that's not a whole lot, you know, that's, that's not, a, that's, that's, there's not much there because what it will leave us is empty. But how many of us are asking for our birthright to, to, to awaken to who we are fully as a human being on this planet? It's our birthright. It's nothing special and it's nothing new by anyone special. And there are no shortcuts, you know, right where we are, best seat in the house. Where do you go from there? It's right there. That hard thing that we're looking at, that scary thing, it's right there. Do you, uh, you, you mentioned that you have a, a dormitory at, at your place. Do you, I mean, do you see yourself as a, as a mentor to people or a teacher? How, what, how, what do you see your role as? Or, or is it just whatever happens, happens? I'm open to what happens. And I, I don't mean to sound wishy-washy about that. You know, I, I don't see myself... I mean, who isn't a teacher? Who isn't... You know, I mean, if, 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 you're, a, if you're a burglar, you're going to share your craft with, <laughs> with your fellow right. burglar. I mean, who's not a teacher? I think who we are... It, the world will ask it of us, and the more we have to offer, the more will people will come for that who who resonate with what it is we're selling in a sense. I mean, what what it is that's that we are about. It's people will end up in your life asking for that, even in the form, like I said earlier, about projection. People will project their fear onto you, and sometimes your teaching comes in staying present with their projection onto you, and what you do with that becomes the teaching. And it's not you as a teacher, it's you surviving the onslaught in a way that turns it into something beautiful, where you don't, you, you know, you don't react you just stay present and allow that moment to transform into something that neither of you expected. That's not a teacher. A teacher, it's not that deliberate or it's not that calculated. It's not like some wisdom is being passed on that you are consciously doing. It's more like you're, you're, you're available to what's coming through, what the moment is asking of you, and something gets passed on. And people will people are attracted to what they need. That's all of us. I mean, it's it's happening for all of us. We're we're all attracted to what we need. I and I do my part. I'm I'm very attentive to other people when they come. I mean that's what but as I am with anything, with with everything I do, as as much as possible. I realize it's like an Easter egg hunt. I never know where the next moment of inspiration is going to come from. So how could I not pay attention, you know, calling on that inspiration? 
If it happens with another human being, great. If there's great wisdom that gets passed along, I receive it as and remember it myself as much as I might give it to somebody. You know, there's wonderful, the Course in Miracles talks about, you know, remembering. You know, I think when we have encounters with other people where that something else kicks in that makes everyone come more alive, we remember who we are again. And we're always forgetting, you know, there, there's, it's just the nature of the mind, the nature of embodied life that, you know, the... It's all gravity, and it's always pulling us down, and so we need to remember, we need to stand again. And in, in being attentive to the, to the moment, that's where that renewal happens. Again, it goes into the death, it goes, and there's the renewal. That's I live for renewal in whatever form it wants to take. I'm not attached to that form. If it happens in silence, I have a tower. I go out in my tower, and sometimes it happens in my and there's no one there, and there's nothing going on. I'm there all alone, and something happens, and I'm as grateful for that as when it happens when I'm screaming on the rooftops. <laughs> I don't care how it happens. I just want to be available to it happening. If people want to... Uh, get in touch with you or or learn more about what you do where would they go i'm available you know i people can i have a website there's contact information you know people are i i stay open to people but there's no guarantee what you're going to get <laughs> because i'm not sure myself <laughs> a lot of people come to see the art and visit and hang out and talk and so I I'm available I've left my life open this has been my life staying open to what others and what wants to happen so and that's really remarkable to me how you've done that I was curious are there any books that you tend to recommend for people if if they're interested in this line of questioning or interested in exploring the self well, I have books that were important to me, but one of the fascinating thing about books, I see some people are are just drawn to a book. I mean, sometimes, a, as you know, a book will jump off the shelf at you, yeah. and you get totally lost in it. And and other times, like I've recommended books, and somebody, you know, some people just don't aren't at all interested. But I have books. Uh, certainly, a course in miracles. You know, I, when they first came out, they were in like Xerox form. I mean, I read the Course in Miracles really early on, and they were really important. I mean, I you know, I was so driven as a painter, I stopped painting for a month, and all I did was read a Course in Miracles. So you know, mm. but but somebody else will pick them up, and they would be meaningless. They they won't do it. So. You know, of course, Lao Tzu, I mean, people, you know, Yogananda, any, I think when we're drawn to, teachers are important, so I guess I better backtrack a little bit on that. It's important to see a, a template for awakening by reading about others who have done it in their own way, but our 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 way will not be the same and if we try to copy somebody else's way it won't work for us but we can what we can get is we can see the courage it took for others to follow their path i mean carl jung you know memories dreams and reflections radical radical book <laughs> 
I mean, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, those are books that, that had huge influence on me, but I don't know they're going to do that for others. But I think it's very important to, if a book calls to, to us that we should, we should, and we won't be able to do otherwise. That's what's so wonderful. But there are, there are plenty of wonderful books out there, great wisdom traditions that we can draw from that will give us a rough sketch of what we need to do. And hopefully the courage to do it and the inspiration, because there's incredible beauty in becoming who we are. But who we are is not going to be look like anything anyone else knows a whole lot about. Are there any films that you do you feel like uh, capture, if you will, some of this, perhaps some of the feeling of the creative life or these these moments of holy defeat? Paris, Texas. I love that film. Okay. I just loved it. But because mm-hmm. it's so it's very personal too, but to me that's a transformational film, you know. It's like you know, he literally goes out into the desert and and almost dies and and then there's this whole healing that comes. And I think there's a good ex- example of someone who you know, got passionately involved in what he believed in, which was, you know, a relationship with a woman, so much so that he lost himself. That in itself became a a false god. And then, it, you know, he had to accept that holy defeat where he walks out into the desert and then comes back and then the healing happens by way of two people telling their stories. It's a fascinating, powerful film. Well, I I actually don't have any more questions. I feel like... uh this interview is, or your answers, I should say, are really packed <laughs> with with a sense of what you're trying to communicate. I, I hope that other people can pick up on that, but at least on my end, there's a really deep feeling to your answers that you're a person who very much is living and has lived what you're talk about, what you're talking about as opposed to someone who's read a whole bunch and has thought a whole lot about things. I'm always fascinated by people who get what they need with intellectual pursuit, but it does, you know, so I see that it's possible. Whatever our nature, I think we need to follow that and it's different for each of us. So, but I appreciate what you said and I thank you for it. Great. I will make sure that uh, on the show notes that I link to your site and I will uh, link to your book as well so people will be able to find that easily. And uh, I thank you. This has been very enjoyable and a very worthwhile experience for me. 